Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 10 of the Clarinet Podcast. Take your playing into the 21st century with 3D-printed Clarinet products by Pereira 3D Clarinet Innovations. For a limited time, use code CLARINET20 at checkout to save 20% on your purchase. See Clarinet.com for full details, and be sure to check out episode 1 of the podcast, where I speak with the company's founder, Ryan Pereira. Two weeks ago, in episode 8, I got chatting with Eric Salazar about many things, and one of those things was the business of music, and that was something that we were both really passionate about. I really want to continue this conversation and take it further, just because I think it's so important for for musicians, especially uh, those who are just getting started in their careers, to, to consider these days. Who better to reach out to then than Garrett Hope, who is a music business composition coach and the founder of the Composer on Fire podcast, which I actually mentioned last week. So I reached out to him and I was thrilled to find out that not only would be, would he love to come on my show, but uh, he's going to be interviewing me for his show as well. And I'll be posting this on Clarinet and uh, we're going to talk about even including that on here so that if you would like to, you can get to know me a little more and hear about, you know, why I started this show and, and just some stuff about me. We never really did a proper introduction episode and maybe it's time, maybe you'd like to know who I am. (laughs) So anyways, in this episode, we discuss all sorts of aspects of the business of music. We chat about composition, working with composers, goal setting, and much, much more. Today's interview uh, features Garrett, of course, and he has written a little ebook which he's put together. And we thought that through the magic of the internet, it'd be really cool to provide all listeners of the podcast with today's giveaway. So today's giveaway, it's a little unorthodox, but all you have to do is head to composeronfire.com slash clarinet. That's composeronfire.com slash clarinet, and you'll be eligible to receive Garrett's free ebook on how to increase your productivity. He'll be selecting five listeners from there who submit that form to also receive 30 minutes of free Business of Music coaching by Skype. Before we get started today, I just want to mention that I've redone the whole website and I'm really, really happy with it and I hope you are too. The content's now front and center and we've got the reviews off to the right-hand side there. It's it's really easy to navigate and it just looks great. We've got that nice clarinet purple all over the place and <laughs> I think it looks fantastic. So, But I'm wondering, what do you think? Is it How is it working for you? Is it is it easy to navigate? Can you find the share buttons? So I guess what I'm looking for is a little bit of feedback and you can do that by providing your thoughts to feedback at clarinet.com. That's feedback at clarinet.com. And uh, you can also send me a message on the Facebook or uh, Twitter social media platforms or something, but but email really is the easiest. So that would be the best way to get in touch. Um, speaking of feedback, if you would like to, I would also really appreciate it if you'd send along sort of what is your dream episode of Clarinet? What, who do you want to hear from the most? Um, it could be any any you know composer. It could be a, a clarinet player. It could be a manufacturer. I I just love to know like what is the number one guest that you'd like to hear featured on the show. And I'm going to do my very best to try and include include those people in the list of upcoming artists and manufacturers and and all that. So so yeah, feedback at clarinet.com. I'm looking for your feedback. So if you could could pass that along, that'd be really great. Because this this show it's not really. It's not really about me. It should be about you and, and who, who do you want to hear from? What do you want to talk about? And all those sorts of things. So anyways, and uh, let's get on with today's show. So now it's time for today's episode with Garrett Hope. And I really think that you'll enjoy this one. We had a really, really fun conversation. And I, I even incorporated some elements of his podcast into this one just to try out. And <laughs> we'll see how you like that. So um, thanks for listening. And here's today's episode with Garrett Hope.
Welcome to the Clarinet.com podcast, Garrett. Well, thank you, Sean. I'm happy to be here. So last week I spoke to guest Eric Salazar, who's an emerging composer and performer. And one of the main topics of conversation we had was the business of music. I realized this subject, I'm extremely passionate about it, and uh, I thought it deserved a little more attention. And having recently discovered your podcast, Composer on Fire, I thought you'd make the perfect guest to come on the show today. Why did you start Composer on Fire, and uh, why do you think it might be relevant to clarinetists? Well, I started Composer on Fire because uh, I was on this journey myself to try to figure out what it takes to actually make a living writing music. For the most part, I have been on an academic track as a composer where I was writing music on commission, but really my main goal was to get an academic position. Mm-hmm. And I did have one, and uh, it was a long and sordid tale. <laughs> Somehow I can't quite escape academia. And yet uh, I was really at a point in my life just a few years ago where I needed to make a change, and I really wanted to make a go writing music and only writing music. So I started this. I started to think about what I was doing as an entrepreneur. I was asking myself questions like, well, if I'm doing if I'm if I'm going to try to make money writing music, I have to figure out what that means to sell my music and to sell myself. And and what I discovered is I needed to develop a whole set of entrepreneurial skills. And I think that these are widely transferable to all the arts. But as a composer, um, I know how to think to uh, like a composer and I know how to talk to composers. So I, I just focused down my show to be about how to start and build your career to, as a composer. Basically, how to think businessly and what entrepreneurial skills do you need? Now, I think these skills are equally transferable to all performing artists and all musicians. Um, but as you know, Sean, a lot of what we have to do is to focus and go a mile deep on one thing. And so I'm doing that with composers. Totally. But I think this everything I'm doing and teaching and thinking about is equally valuable to clarinetists. Because you guys are out there, you're selling yourself every day. You're not only you're trying to get gigs, but you're trying to get students or you're you know pounding the streets to get funding to make recordings or whatever it is. It's all the same thing. We have to market ourselves. We have to promote ourselves. We have to sell ourselves because music is an art, but it's also a commodity and it has value. Totally. And what, what we do has value. And even for students listening to this now, like you may not be on a path of a professional recording artist or to play in a symphony or something, but there's so many lessons that can be learned. It's a, it is a viable career option if you allow yourself to see it that way and look for the opportunities going forward. Especially if you have the right mindset. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking about this before we hit record, but so many artists and musicians are, are the worst at this, is that we believe we have to be starving artists. You are not a real artist unless you are dirt poor, right? Or you're not a real composer unless you are this tortured, labored, you know, soul <laughs> like Beethoven in the Garrett. Yeah. yeah, and it's just not true. And that that is a manifestation of what we can call the scarcity mindset, which makes everything a zero sum game. Well, there's only so many orchestral seats available, and there are six times the amount of qualified candidates for each orchestral seat. Actually, it's probably a whole lot worse than that. 
And then you just think, well, like what, what chances do I have? And there's nothing else. But the reality is, is that there is so many opportunities and you can go out and you can create your own opportunities. And I'm not talking about creating the next New York Philharmonic or something, but there are other things you can do. And all your guests, Sean, they're all doing this. Yeah, even if they don't realize it, they yeah. are, they're skilled at their own marketing and their own careers and working through that stuff. And you mentioned ensembles there. Uh, the symphony positions, they really, they really are dwindling for a lot of um, countries. I think actually I could safely say all countries. Um, but, you know, locally, even recently, we've had some new groups start up. There's one called Time Point Ensemble that is uh, a new music group. And there's a, a couple orchestras, actually, that have been recently founded. And people find a way to to monetize on these things and turn them into real opportunities for themselves. So, yeah, you, you do have to be a little open minded there. So back to the podcast. Um, what was the biggest challenge you had in getting that off the ground? I mean, a lot of people want to talk about goal setting or setting their own goals um, and they have a real struggle with it and that goal could be as simple as I'm going to practice for 20 minutes today <laughs> or it could be as complex as launching a podcast so so what was the challenge for you taking action I think was the biggest challenge uh, it's easy to, to dream and it, in my case I love to actually plan and try to figure out how things could work mm-hmm but then I sit there and I just get so afraid and I let the fear stop me. And that has halted me throughout my whole life as a performer, as a composer, as a teacher. Um, oh my gosh, and all my relationships and networking. And so finally, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I did this whole project because I'm, I'm trying to kind of crack the nut here <laughs> on yes. how to make a living as a full-time musician. And so, uh, I did that. I, I just said, okay, this is my goal. I know what I got to do. I did some careful planning and research, and then I just I just did it. And I had to face the fear that, uh, A, my product would be awful, B, that no one would like it, C, that I would have egg on my face in the composer community, and maybe it's a lot <laughs> like the clarinet community, but... What do you mean egg on your face? I've never heard you that know, term. We're kind of... Uh, it's a small community, and there's... There's very few professional networks for composers, and we all kind of get to know each other after a while. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be that guy who people talk about at the festivals and conferences and be like, oh, yeah, that that's just Garrett. He's that we doing that weird stuff <laughs> or or to be an embarrassment to my colleagues or peers, um, because a lot of what I want to talk about is is mindset and, and being an entrepreneur is hard work. Being a musician is hard work. And so helping people think through that and, and change, find and identify those things that are stopping you from progressing forward or reaching you, your goals and then break through them. And so totally. I had to do that, do that myself. So I just want to Sean, hover around that comment about the self-doubt for a moment because I one thing I've found amazing is I've been talking to a few artists now, some like Martin Frost. I was shocked to hear that Every day, he still faces that. One of the listener questions for him was, how do you overcome that? And he said, well, the question is wrong because I overcome, overcoming it is what it looks like from the outside. But from the inside, it still is that. And it, it, it's so um, sobering for me 
and everybody else I'm sure who's who's uh, who's trying to break into that to hear that come out of these people's mouths. So I think it's really a human condition, and if you can learn to just accept it, you can do a lot with it. Oh, right. Yeah. And I don't know, Sean, if you listen to this episode on my podcast with Valerie Young, it's episode 15, but Valerie Young is a psychologist and she wrote this fantastic book on the imposter syndrome. Yes. So I interviewed her for that. Um, And just to recap for the listeners who aren't familiar, the imposter syndrome is when you say to yourself, well, you feel like an imposter. You're like, I don't belong. And you have thoughts like as soon as they know, as soon as they figure me out, they're going to realize that I'm not good enough. Um, I'm just pulling the wool over their eyes. And it's full of self-doubt and fear. And it's the biggest lie. And it's pervasive in academia because of the way things are set up. And I think it's also pervasive in the arts mm-hmm. because we look at our peers and we're, we're sent we, – we start training really young And then we start getting into ensembles and we're competing for different chairs and seats and commissions. And then you get to university and and some people are recording and some people are commissioning composers. And you might be there just trying to learn the reps so you can get an audition. And so you feel like a total loser. And that doesn't mean you're a loser. That's the imposter syndrome speaking. Absolutely. Breaking through the fear. And I experienced a similar thing too actually when I was – a couple years ago when I was sort of considering – uh, places to go with my career. One of the the doubts I had had was whether or not to do some grant writing for some projects I've been thinking about. And 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 one person sort of said to me like, because I was like, who am I to to do something like that? And he was like, well, who are you not to? Like, right? Yeah. You need to approach that with the same kind of uh, m- mindset. If if you looked at it as a as positively as you look at it negatively, you could go a totally different direction. So. Yeah, uh, you. What you focus on grows. And so if you're focused on there being very little opportunities and that you don't have enough money or your network is small or all these negative things, you're just going to end up seeing and realizing more of the same. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have the opposite mindset that you just described, Sean, that says, I can create my own opportunities. There are lots of opportunities. People out in the world want to listen to music. They're desperate for music. They're desperate for live music. They're desperate for new music. And they want to engage with the artist and the performer. People are tired of passive engagement. I mean, yes, like, yes, popular music and the consumerism is still there and rampant. But you can go and put together a house concert tour. And you can make a substantial living and you only have to tour for like two or three months of the year. Yeah, totally. And I want to be really clear for listeners too that um, we're really not sort of trying to spread the, the, the nonsense of just purely positive thinking right, can yeah. do everything. You, you've got to find a way to put in put in the effort, of course. This isn't, you know, that, what was that movie a few years ago? The Secret or whatever. Yeah, um, it's not that. No, no. and that, that, that movie really tarnished actually this mentality of trying to uh, stay, stay sort of positive about these kind of things, but, but it's, it is so important though, to, uh, approach things more in that way. And instead of being sort of crippled by fear about pursuing a goal, like stand up and just kind of do it, (laughs) you know, but the do is the important part as important as the think for me anyways, I've found. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about selecting guests for your podcast? You've had some pretty big names, including Michael Torkey and Brian Belmages to name a few. Um, how do you go about that? 
if I'm talking to a composer, I'm looking for people who are out writing music right now. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. And in whatever shape that could look like. Um, and everyone has a different way to make their career. There's not one single path. And this is what I think is brilliant about this. And I love highlighting it in the podcast. Everyone has made their own way. And so I hope to eventually inspire someone that they too can do it. And so if someone is out there writing music, they're they're getting commissions. They may not even be making a living, but they could be recording CDs or anything. I want to talk to them. How are you doing this? What's working for you? What hasn't worked? I'm also interested in talking to performers. And, and Sean, I'm going to feature you on the show because composers can't just write music. Uh, there's no point. We it, it it needs to also include the performer, and I I think we need to have collaborative relationships with performers. So I've had really good cl- uh, conversations with vocalists primarily uh, on how do composers work like what what kind of questions should we be asking how do we communicate better what does collaboration really look like and how can we make this fruitful for everybody uh i've also interviewed conductors and then obviously a a psychologist i i also interviewed uh, a person who specializes in how to write um biographies and other things and we had this really fruitful conversation on Writing your own artist bio, which is ridiculously difficult. And how do you write a bio that's engaging and everyone needs a bio, but it doesn't read like a CV? Have you ever seen bios that read like a CV? Oh, absolutely. It's awful. And it's, it's really important too. And again, Eric and I talked about this last week. Um, I've been trying to make my way through all your episodes. Um, I think I've I only found you about last week, so I, th- I think you've got more than sixty now. So it's uh, <laughs> it's been a little tough. But yeah. what episode is that? Just for listeners, if they want to check it out, do you remember the number? April uh, episode twenty five with April E. James. Okay. On writing better bios. Okay. Yeah, it's a great episode. R- really recommend that one. So you just mentioned that you want to have uh, me on your podcast. I'm actually quite excited about that. That's going to be really fun to talk about. Um, just to share with the Clarinet audience, what what are some of the things that you're hoping to to find out or or to ask um, while I'm there talking to you? Well, I think it's really important for composers to to know how to best communicate with the performers. And one of the most fruitful questions I've asked performers is, what do composers do that drives you crazy? So, Sean, (laughs) I'm going to save that answer for our interview. But I think, clarinetist, this is really important. You need to be open and willing to have the dialogue with the composer. And you want to find a composer that is also willing to have that dialogue. There's a couple kinds of composers. There's, There's the Stockhausen kind who writes the notes and, you know, hell or high water, you better play it with that articulation and that dynamic really well, or I don't care what you think kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's the person who is just kind of like, well, I'm not really sure if that should be staccato or really, or what the dynamic is. You don't want that either. But what you should look for is uh, this relationship where the composer or you both have an idea for a piece. The composer is listening to you, is learning your strengths and interests. If your clarino range is like amazing, he needs to emphasize that. If you really enjoy 
Is it Calamo? Is that how you Sh- say sorry. it? Sorry, S- say those two again. Uh, Clarion and Shalamo. Clarion. Thank yeah. you. So See, just... this is your you're educating me. <laughs> yeah, just start from if you're Clarion range or Clarion. I think you should keep this in. Don't edit it out oh, because sure. this is a perfect example of oh. what I'm talking about. Here I am. I'm a composer interested in writing for composers, and I even have clarinet experience, and I don't even have the terms right. <laughs> and I have six orchestration textbooks sitting on the shelf behind me. I kid you not. Yeah, and actually that's why I think it's going to be kind of neat to come on and talk about the clarinet a bit with the composer on Fire Audiences. Uh I remember in university, a professor had one of each instrumentalist come in to the orchestration class and play over a course of a few weeks and have composers get to ask questions about writing for that instrument or what can it do? What can't it do? What what are some things that we should know? You know? Yeah. Start a dialogue. So It important. is a dialogue. And you should hopefully have the relationship where when the composer is working through his draft, his or her draft, they're showing it as they go. And so as they finish a passage, they can show it to you and be like, will this work? Is this possible? And maybe they have everything hovering around B natural, B frat, like right on the break, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just the worst. So you need to point that out. You're like, okay, this fingering, this leap here, this is going to be really hard. And you can then provide suggestions. Like if you, if you notate it this way or if you just switch this one note here, I would be able to do what you're asking me to do. Or even the, the, the instrumentalist could provide you with the, the thought. Like one of the first things that just came to me about that particular problem you just posed is the alternate fingerings that make that possible in certain instances. So the, there are – this dialogue is so important. And you remind me of Laurie Friedman a few weeks ago said something. I'd asked her about what you'd like about work, like working with living composers. And she said, well, the best way is along the way is to get together – talk about the piece, talk about the instrument, talk about the project, work together as a team and, and kind of go ahead. So, Yeah, it's a, it's a real collaboration. And so, um, uh, Sean, do you have any questions for me as a composer, as a clarinetist? <laughs> yeah, I guess like we <laughs> – now we're kind of going off the book here. But, but um, the, uh, I think that as a composer, I, I would want to know what they want to hear as feedback – from musicians because there's been times where I think that I'm playing a piece or I have a piece and and I don't know that if I'm going to say something if I'm going to offend that person or if it's just a simple request like do they I don't know what what do they what are they looking for from the musicians as a response Well that's pretty delicate and I think it depends on the individual mm-hmm. Ideally there would be enough trust there that you could say things that need to be said and people's ego is not going to be too bruised. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that feedback has to come. Um, But that has to start with a really good relationship. If you have just, if you're a hired gun and you don't have a relationship with this person, you need to be a little bit more careful with the feedback, I would think. But if you're in a true collaborative relationship with someone who you trust and you feel is really writing a piece for you, then I think it's essential that you say those hard things. Yeah, I think you should be careful. And I maybe didn't frame my question right, actually. But what I meant was in a collaborative relationship. If you're playing in an orchestra and you get a piece from a, a composer, it's not really 
you sort of be jumping the chain of command to pass along your thoughts simply because you're playing it. <laughs> I mean, right. that doesn't yep. seem like your job at that moment. But if you're collaborating with somebody, um, yeah, I think that that's an important message is to... to so I think some of the things that you that composers would be interested in is just technical issues. Mm-hmm. Is what the composer asking possible? Do they have you in extended range for too long? Oh yes. Um, uh, is the is there enough breath support? Um, you, there are things that composers think about, um, and but may have maybe sacrificing something for their musical vision of the phrase but if it's not possible or if it's not going to work or if it's just going to come off badly then that's the kind of feedback the composer needs to hear um be willing to offer suggestions um i i'm not saying rewrite the piece but you could say i really think maybe this phrase could be broken up at this location what do you think about that yeah creating a dialogue instead of some sort of criticism i mean you wouldn't want the composer to turn to you and say my mm-hmm. god your tuning on that note is really bad <laughs> no you wouldn't you know yeah. and you the composer doesn't want you to look at them and say you know oh my god why'd you pick that note it's so high held at pianissimo for 20 measures <laughs> um maybe there's a more productive way to word that you know i mean what is the reason you did that there could i stagger breathe could i play it a little louder <laughs> all these yeah. things might be a better way to to talk about it so exactly and i think one of one of the things that i want to do more with my scores is when i've written a piece for a performer um have them credited not only on the score as the commissioning party or collaborator but as an editor and so if I were to write a piece for you, Sean, and we were to work together in a relationship to come up to something that we're both really proud of, when it comes time for me to publish the piece, I would want to include your notes to the performer in it, any fingering markings that should be in the score that would best communicate how to perform it. And mm. that's going to come from the performer more than it's going to come from the composer. Like I can look up a fingering chart. That's easy. Yeah. But you might have a better idea. Or maybe in any instance, it might require some special fingering that I won't know about. That's a great idea, actually, is to include the um, the annotations almost from the original first performance and analyze those and analyze those and then include them in the first edition and editions going forward. So, yeah, cool. I've done that with piano players where they've marked uh, certain fingerings into tricky passages. And I'm like, whoa. Ah. I'll just put that in the score. You figured it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's the answer right there. So. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on here, but let's just uh, leave that as sort of a taste of what we're going to be talking about, I guess, uh, in Composer on Fire in a few weeks. So. Sure. Perfect. So we've already talked about this a little bit. Uh, I knew we'd get into the business of music right away, whether we liked it or not. <laughs> um, but why do you find that it's absolutely so important? Like, why isn't it enough just to play our instruments in this day and age? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of the big ones is that the jobs economy has completely shifted. Uh, the idea that you can just get a job in general is almost gone in, in our economy. And, uh, I know it's true in the United States. I'm sure it's, it's true uh, up in Canada where you are. Um, I have relatives in Alberta, so I know I have a better insight into that economy. 
But you, we can't, and, and we spoke a little bit about it already, that there's not as many gigs. And, yeah. and what we do when we go to school is we get, we get trained for, for the orchestral gigs, right? Or we get trained to teach at university. And it's the same thing. Like I, I know for most university positions, there are anywhere from 100 to 200 equally qualified candidates for one position. And so we need to think differently about how to use our skills. I think there is a way for us to make a living doing this. Absolutely. And I think it's it's just really important. Um, kind of I had I had another thought, but it's kind of escaped me. Uh, maybe if we come back <laughs> to this, so, um, those thoughts will come back. But I, I, if you want to, this is one thing I say on my podcast. If you want to make a living doing music, then you need to make the business of music your business. Exactly. If you want to know what it's like to, uh, you know, do commissions or whatever, you need to figure out how money works. What does that mean to be a self-employed musician? And we're moving towards a freelance economy anyway. This is what's happening more and more. And freelancers actually have more income potential, though you have to hustle more. It's, it might be more work, but there could be greater reward, which means your music can be getting out to a larger audience. And there's actually more stability, I, I would say, I, in I, it too. Because instead of one you're – not, you're not one sentence yeah. away from losing your entire income. It would, take, it would take breaking off many, many relationships for that to happen. So very, yeah. very important Absolutely. stuff here. Absolutely. So along right. those same lines, one of the services you offer on your website is professional coaching, business coaching for, for composers. Um, what kind of person would consider this type of mentoring relationship? Uh, the coaching I provide is really to help people identify those blocks that are stopping them from progressing forward. Business coaching do, does a lot of business training of what kind of skills are necessary to successfully operate a business. But what I've found, and you can see this, like Michael Port even references it in his book, that there are no business problems that are not first kind of personal and mindset problems. And one of the most common problems I've found for musicians is how difficult it is to sell ourselves. Mm -hmm. For some reason, we've bought into this lie that uh, there, it's not worthy or it's not artistic to do too much self-promotion or self-aggrandizing or just to sell yourself. But we're actually in the business of relationship and sales. We need to know how to network and we need to know how to ask for money. Mm -hmm. I mean, we if you want to if you want to fundraise for a CD, you've got to you've got to know how to talk about that. If you're teaching, you need to know how to set your rates and stick to your rates or raise your rates. If you're doing clinician work, you've got to know what it what you, what your value is. And be able to negotiate, know what your costs are, and then you have to be able to ask for it. And we have so many roadblocks set up about not being able to ask. I think anyone who's frustrated uh, with how things are going, um, anyone who doesn't know what to do next, anyone who really wants to make a living doing their art, I think I can, I can help them. At mm -hmm. least set some clear goals, identify some of their problem areas, and then 
give them the tools so that they can go forward and do this on their own. An ideal coaching relationship, it does not last forever. A good coach should be able to work themselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. So this week on the giveaway, we're going to try a little bit of a creative giveaway here. And this is made possible by um, Garrett's website, Composer on Fire, his generosity, and the digital age. <laughs> so what we're going to do is every listener of the Clarinet podcast is going to be able to go to composeronfire.com slash Clarinet, and you can download Garrett's free uh, ebook with 20 habits on how to increase your productivity. And five people who contact through that form are going to be able to receive a free 30-minute coaching session with Garrett. Um, So what you need to do is when you go on there, just give a reason for why you think that would be something that would really be a boost for your career. And uh, and he'll get in touch with the five sort of main winners. But everybody's eligible for that. So I think that's a great creative way to use the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to say additionally about that? Um, n- no. Uh, well, I think that the uh, the tw- the list of twenty habits you can incorporate are things you can do to help you focus down your time and be able to get more done in the time we have. Because time is the one resource that's not renewable in our in our lives right now, and so many of us are extremely busy and pulled in many directions. I mean, I am too. And so when I only have a limited amount of time every day to do the work I need to do, I need to know how to maximize that. And that's why I wrote this ebook. And I hope it helps you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a super valuable tool. So thanks for thanks for sharing that with the, the Clarinet audience. And I just want to put one more plug out there if you if I can, Sean. Absolutely. As a composer, I'm always looking to develop collaborative relationships with performers and if you are interested in talking to a composer about some potential future piece, reach out to me. You can you can find me at GarrettHope.com or you can just contact me through the ComposerOnFire.com website as well. And I'm also in the middle of forming some consortiums right now for some wind ensemble music. So if you're a wind ensemble director, definitely come and reach out to me because I want to write some new music for you guys too. So – um, I noticed in your bio that you, you mentioned that you played clarinet when you were younger. Um, do you still play? I do not, though I do have my clarinet sitting here on my shelf right behind me. <laughs> I, uh, I started studying piano when I was, I don't know, four or five. And then when I was nine, when we got to choose an instrument for the band program at school, uh, I, I was going to choose saxophone, actually. And my mother, who is a elementary school music teacher, said to me, and I can't believe she actually said this, right? She said, no, you're going to choose a real orchestral instrument. <laughs> and so I went with a different single read. I went with clarinet. And so I actually studied that all the way through middle school. But I continued to play in the marching bands and concert bands through university. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but when I got to middle school, I started playing guitar and that's when I found my real love and I, I I was a guitar major and I switched to bass and then I uh I I just couldn't go back once I found those stringed instruments but I have a deep affinity for clarinet and I think it helps me write a little bit better because I know 
a little bit more of what it takes to make it work. Absolutely. And and what why would you um would your mother say that, do you think? Is she a musician? <laughs> she is. She was a music teacher and she was a clarinetist. And so I wonder <laughs> if part of her motivation is that there was a clarinet already in the house. Oh, probably. And I don't think they wanted to listen to to saxophone, but they had to listen to squeaky clarinet for years instead. So <laughs> You know, though, six there, to one, half a dozen to the other. Exactly, but you know, there is a little bit of truth to her statement, though. I must say, I mean, I think that one thing that they should make saxophone and even euphonium players aware of in junior high school bands is the fact that the instrument is not part of the orchestra. A lot of kids don't know that, um, and I don't, I don't want to say yeah. it limits their career because, of course, it, of course, it expands them into different realms in jazz, for example, but. I would hate for someone to go through six years of training only to find out, like, wait a second. <laughs> but maybe they should know that. Right, I don't know. yeah. Well, I think the landscape is different than it was 20 years ago when there wasn't as much um, professional wind ensemble activity happening, which was a big area for saxophones as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're both, I think, products of kind of the more uh, the Simpsons era there too. Everyone and their dog want to learn the saxophone. And I think a lot of people just band directors mm-hmm. had to stand up and say, no, we can't have a band of saxophones. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. exactly. So it's been great talking with you today, Garrett. Um, and on Composer on Fire, you end each episode with something called the lightning round, which is actually a really cool idea. Um, it's a series of questions which you ask and they're all meant to be answered in under a minute really quickly. Um, but I thought it'd be fun to turn the mic around and, and ask you your lightning round questions. Is that something you're open to? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I was, I stood up, I was trying to find a particular book on the bookshelf. But okay. That's fine. Yes. I think that's a great idea. Perfect. So let's do this. Um, this is the lightning round. <laughs> so, uh, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? What I... I have only learned recently and what I needed to learn when I was 20 is that I don't need permission. Mm. I kept going to school and I kept learning and I kept waiting for someone to validate me and say, you are everything you want to be. And I, this kind of sounds like little frou-frou, but I, I was that already. I just didn't believe it. And if I just had the courage to go out there and take the action that I, I knew needed to happen and just believed in myself earlier, I think my career would be in a much different place. Totally. So what do I do here? Do I need to get a buzzer or something or do we, <laughs> do we just kind of keep going? <laughs> I just move I oh, just move on to the next question. Okay. I was watching the clock. I'm like, he's just passed a minute there. I don't know if I should cut him off. And I never – I never stick to, I never make anyone stick to a minute or less. Okay. It's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the second question, what is a personal habit of yours that you feel leads to your success? I think one of the things that I do habitually that helps me the most is uh, I have a pretty f- well-established morning routine. Hmm. I get up really early before my family's up and I meditate and I read and I journal and that just starts my day off right. So my mind is clean and fresh and uh, through the meditation, um, which often incorporates a lot of prayer, then I, I can just go in and be so focused and creative that the next hour of work for me, composing or writing or whatever I'm doing, 
is the best work I can do all day long. And then I go out and start teaching and I get distracted and pulled in a hundred directions. But that's the best thing that I do. That's my best habit is having a really strong morning routine. Awesome. What is one composition that you wish you had written and why? Oh, man. Um, I know when I ask people this question, they hate it because it's so hard to answer. Oh, really? But the, the motivation for this question comes from this. I am most inspired as a composer when I've seen a really good performance. Obviously of a good piece too. And when the concert ends, my, my main reaction is to say, I wish I had written that. That was so cool. I want to do that too. And then I go home and I can just write and write and write. It's, it's fueling the fire. So Mm -hmm. that's where that question comes from. So, so many amazing pieces. And if I'm just going to pick one, I would probably go, I'm going to have to pick two. I'm sorry, but we're going to go with, (laughs) these are your questions. (laughs) I know, I know, but it's your show. Exactly. Uh, Stravinsky's ride of spring blows my mind. Mm. And I know that almost all my guests say this one as well. Oh really? Yeah. It's one piece that I can go back to and it has immense depth and complexity and richness. There's beautiful counterpoint. There's amazing orchestral colors, very creative rhythmic ideas. Uh, I could go on and on, but when I listen to that piece, I'm always just completely awestruck. Uh, yes, that one. And then I would go with, James McMillan's Seven Last Words from the Cross. And James McMillan is a Scottish composer, and Seven Last Words is for chorus and string ensemble. Hmm. And there are these moments of aching beauty set against very harsh dissonance and anger and frustration. Um, and, And McMillan does this great job. He's a very eclectic composer where one moment you'll have this gorgeous modalism and you think you're actually in Scotland. And then instantly it sounds like 12 tone music and it all fits to, to tell his purpose. Um, wonderful, wonderful piece. I should check that out. There kind of reminds me, are you familiar with, uh, Carl Jenkins? The Carl Jenkins Requiem is Uh, is really cool. I don't know that, but I know his Audiomus suite. Um, and then he had that famous track that was made famous in the De Beers Diamonds Are Forever commercial, right? Oh, I don't, I don't know that one, but yeah. I'd... Anyways, well, maybe <laughs> sorry. It's a, maybe it's a different commercial. We're not supposed to do this composers. here, are we? <laughs> I'm not supposed to. <laughs> okay, so the last question. I'm not doing the best job with the lightning round here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the last question. Oh, no what, worries. What is one book? that will benefit the personal, creative, or business lives of the Composer on Fire listeners, or in this case, the Clarinate listeners, and uh, and why? Why would you recommend that book? You know, I have so many books on my bookshelf, and the, I'm going to name one that's a very easy read. You can read it in an afternoon, but it's completely inspirational, and it's Austin Cleon's Steal Like an Artist. Austin Cleon is a poet and blogger and author, and this little book goes through some great habits about things you can do to increase your creativity throughout the day. And I'm not 
talking to just people who are composers, I think this is applicable to all of us as musicians and artists. Um, one of the biggest ideas, and this is the one that the title comes from, is that we stand on the shoulders of the people who came before us. And there's the quote that can sometimes be attributed to Picasso, sometimes to Stravinsky, sometimes to W.H. Auden. But it's a good artist borrows, but a great artist steals. I find it funny that that quote is sometimes attributed to different people. <laughs> I know, right? I maybe it was stolen. I want to know who actually stolen. said it. I want yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I think, I think that's a really good book. I, I recommend that one highly. So just for those listening, um, in case you're driving and you're now trying to scramble to find a pencil, don't worry. We're gonna. I'm gonna post those in the show notes uh, pages up there. Maybe I'll post all your answers to this, including those pieces, because um, uh, the one, the the second one you mentioned there, I've actually not heard. So I'd like to check that out myself. Um, you have a website, composeronfire.com. Uh, is there anywhere else mm -hmm. that people could get in touch with you online that we haven't mentioned? Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, there's. Uh, there's my com composer website, which is GarrettHope.com, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-H-O-P-E. And I'm easily found on Facebook. You can search for me or uh, Composer Garrett. And my Twitter handle is at Composer Garrett. So I'd love to connect with you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was a lot of fun. And I hope that the listeners do reach out and, and take you up on that free ebook offer. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show, Sean. This has been a real treat for me. I, I hope I've been able to spin a different uh, or shine a different light onto the music world than most of your clarinet playing guests. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's um, the thing. I want to make sure to incorporate some people who are uh, still in music, but relevant topics to clarinet players for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head with your podcast. So. Oh, well, thank you. I I just want to say, if I if I could... Don't be afraid to do what you feel like you need to do to make it work. You, uh, this is for all the listeners out there. If you have a dream, make a plan, figure out what the steps are that you need to do, and then take those steps. Take the action. Goal setting doesn't do you any good unless you take the action to complete those goals. It's like New Year's resolutions. You have to go to the gym if you're going to lose the weight. If you want to become a full-time clarinetist, you need to take the action to make that happen. And you need to figure out what that can mean, whether it's networking, developing certain uh, promotional and marketing skills, or whatever. But you can do it. Take the action. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Garrett. It was great to talk to you. You too, Sean. Thanks for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, or if you have any questions, feedback, requests, or anything like that at all, please don't hesitate to email me directly at feedback at That's feedback at So we're about to play the outro music again here, and I, every time I listen to it at the beginning, actually, I think, man, that's such great playing. And I want to thank Tom Powalski for providing us with that intro and outro music on the show. Um, you can hear more great tracks by him. Uh, on his website almost every day at soundcloud.com slash klezmertom that's soundcloud.com slash klezmertom 
Tom was a featured guest on the podcast on episode three. So if you want to check that out, head on over to Clarinet on the new website there and have a listen. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next week.